It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 10, Episode 23. This was the Mendiolas part one. It was the first half of my conversation when I sat down in Juan Mendiola's living room and chatted with him and his wife for a few hours. Uh, and in this first half of the discussion, we really focused more on, on Catalina's victimology and, and what they knew about um, her movements in the case. And then what you're going to hear this coming Sunday is the second half where, we're, where he's more asking me about the case, the things that he didn't know about. Uh, but this this week, we did learn a little bit more about Catalina. We've got a lot to discuss. And I'm here, of course, joined by uh, Zach and Mike. And after a quick break, we'll get right into your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You've seen the film. You know the game. Now, Jumanji just got real. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Featuring Daredevil Dad, Mom on a Mission. And the kids who can't wait to ride the world's first Jumanji roller coaster. An epic adventure awaits. World of Jumanji. Only at Chessington World of Adventures. Book this summer's must-do day out at Chessington.com. Hey, before we get into questions, I have a couple things I want to bring up. One of the things that's brought up early in the episode is is some timing issues. Or they, they bring up some times that I'm not sure completely accurate in my opinion. Now, maybe I'm completely wrong, but they seem a little strange to me. They definitely sent people, and, and most importantly, we have the fact that um, Juan's wife, who I feel, I, I, and you guys heard how she entered into the conversation. I feel terrible that I never caught her first name, but you heard in the episode how that happened. She was just like in another room and started talking and we were in the middle of rolling. And then I like got five minutes in and was like, how do I ask her what her name is at this point? Uh, so she just misses Mendiola. But yeah, she had said that she had actually talked to Catalina that morning. Uh, she says around 7.30 and that Catalina was supposed to pick her up around 8. And of course, that sent the discussions on the fan page running away with, you know, running with with new timelines and when things happen. I, I don't know how you feel about it, Zach, but for me, as I've said many, many times, without an anchor, when someone is giving a time, especially 25 years later, it just really doesn't, I, I don't I don't give it much weight. And when she says 7.30, 
that's how she remembers it now. But I, I don't think that that call happened at 7.30. I have to agree. You know, my thought wasn't so much, I mean, I, I guess you can put that in there, but you can also put the fact that she knows now that she was murdered in the morning. So she's just right. picking an early time. Yeah. You know, being that it's so late, you know, 25 years later, that's hard to remember anything. Well, the thing, the thing I got is I'm always looking for these anchors, right? And, and if you listen to what she said, she said she talks to her, forget the times. So she talked to her and Catalina was going to go pick her up to go shopping, which was kind of a Sunday or a Tuesday ritual seemed like for them that they mm-hmm. did most Tuesdays. And then she said it was just a little bit later and the phone rang who she thought was going to be Catalina saying she's on her way. And instead it was the police, which made me, which made me think that, okay, so the time between the call that I'm coming to pick you up and the call that Catalina had been murdered were close together the way she described them. And we know that the call from the police about her being murdered couldn't happen before anytime before 10 in the, 10 in the morning. Uh, so that makes sense to me that if that call might have happened at, you know, eight, eight thirty, even nine, you know, because she just didn't seem like the way her the way she remembers it, that not a lot of time passed between the plan to go shopping and when she got the call from the police. So the the one thing that that I picked up on, and maybe again, this just leads to the timeline being completely off, is Catalina's attire when she was murdered. Right. If if this timeline is so truncated that she says that there's a half hour window between a phone call and her coming to get her, right. regardless of when it is, mm-hmm. I feel like she would not be in her nightgown. Right. You know, getting. I mean, I feel like she'd be a lot further along. And I'm not saying you can't get dressed quickly and, and get out the door quickly, but someone of that age, it seems like they take a little longer. They usually want to be more on time. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know I'm generalizing a lot, but I feel like she wouldn't be in a nightgown, you know, after she got the phone with Juan's wife. And not be getting ready to go get her if that timeline is so tight like that. Yeah. Do you, do you mean that you don't think that it, that the call and the murder were close together? No. I So I apologize. So she said she said she talked to her at 730 and Catalina was supposed to pick her up at 8. So regardless of if those are the actual times, mm-hmm. if she called her half an hour before she was supposed to come get her, sliding that anywhere, I don't think those were that close together. The call and the getting picked up. Right. Is yeah. what I'm saying because she wasn't ready. Right. I don't think you would call somebody a half an hour before you're going to go get them and not be not be starting to get ready. ready. Yeah. Right. So that would lead more towards what you know my feeling on it, which is that the call was probably closer to like probably like after nine, you know, close to the time that she was murdered because she hadn't started getting ready yet. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how Catalina. It looks like what she's wearing is like a house coat of some kind, but it could also just be a flannel shirt that's just long that maybe she would tuck in. I don't. I don't know. But she's definitely not wearing any pants or anything yet. Uh, so, yeah, I think that they're close together. And, of course, that leads to, you know, it's, it's, of course, led to people with theories that, well, maybe she was actually then murdered at 8 o'clock in the morning. And then she had been dead for an hour and a half, which you know, we've discussed that between the medical evidence and the the people feeling for a pulse and uh, door skips and doing CPR that, you know, I, I don't think she had been down anywhere near that long. When she got killed. So, so you know, what I got out of that, what I found interesting about that really was the fact that she did talk to her. There was a plan to go shopping that day. That seems like an anchor because it was what she does remember is that it was a Tuesday. And the reason she remembers it was a Tuesday is because that's the day that, that Catalina had off work and that they usually went shopping together on Tuesdays. So, yeah, I have a hunch that there was probably a conversation, you know, sometime after nine in the morning 
And she says she's going to pick her up and she's just kind of going about her routine, kind of getting ready. And then the murder happens right afterwards. The other interesting thing that, that I found was that Juan, from his memory now, is that he wouldn't have talked to her in the morning. Yeah. And I believe, didn't he say that he had talked to her, that it was like a normal thing to talk to her? Yeah. They said that it was kind of a regular thing that almost daily they talked uh, in the morning. He, now he does say, you know, there's, you got to look between like the, the police reports and then the trial transcript because he did tell me I talked, some things we're going to hear this week. Uh, in the coming episode, I, in some follow-up questions I asked with him, you know, and I even sent him his trial testimony. And he's like, I don't, he said, honestly, the trial was a blur. He, he had, he had trial prep with the, the district attorney prior to going in there. And there was a, one of the things for sure that we're going to be talking about on, on Sunday that they were definitely like leading a heat, the way he put it, hinting at him to say something, uh, something in particular. But he was just like, man, the trial, he said he didn't remember much of the trial. The trial was just a blur. He was just really in an emo, kind of an emotional state and, and doesn't know. But, you know, I told him, like, you, you said, I think, I th- you think you heard me in the interview say, well, you said that you talked to her every day, mm-hmm. uh, at eight o'clock and that didn't happen. But, but then again, we don't hear anything in the police report about his wife speaking to her. And again, we have this issue with all the police reports where we never get anybody's actual words. We get a relaying of what they said in the reports. So who knows? But now I don't know whether to believe that whether Juan did talk to her or if it was just his wife. Was that an assumption that the police made because they talked to his wife? You know what I mean? I don't I just don't know. And it's hard. I mean, as we talked numerous times already, it's hard. It's 25 years later. Right. You're not really probably going to find out the truth now at this point of what who talked to who. Right. And I guess let's, before we go any further, we might as well start getting into these questions. OK. Our first one comes from Christina. So many developments about Catalina in that conversation. What were you most surprised by? The phone call with Juan's wife was definitely a surprise. And to be honest, there was there was a lot. I mean, there there seems to be there seems to have been some kind of relationship with Eva. They they think you gotta understand that they don't quite understand the circumstances of the case. So when they think of the girl upstairs, when 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 Mrs. Mendiola is talking about Catalina having, you know, taking food up to the girl upstairs and stuff like that, she thinks that's Jen. I would assume that that's Eva because Jen didn't live there. She just was only there for a couple of days before this happened. So that was that was surprising. But then, you know, there's a lot of questions there, too, because there were remember there were two apartments upstairs. We don't know. We still and, and people keep asking me, I don't know. There's no way for me to know uh, because the police never investigated. And the apartments, number one, probably don't have records from that long ago. And if they did, they're not they they don't they can't probably share them with me, uh, even if they would want to. But I wonder, like, was there another was somebody in the other apartment? Could that have been who she was talking about, or was that in fact Eva? But yeah, the the call from the, the call with Juan's wife that was definitely a surprise. Was anything that that? Uh, well, the one thing that that kind of left out to me is they kind of kept talking about that they didn't think she would complain. Now, right. now you know they do. He does discuss that maybe he wouldn't complain to her, but it didn't. She didn't seem like she would complain much. And he even says at one point about like the sexual stuff that that didn't bother her. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that, that kind of jumps out to me that I, I didn't feel that way about Catalina before this conversation. I think it's funny because that the fact that he says that he doesn't think she would complain, again, leads people down a couple different paths. So one path people are looking at is what if it wasn't Catalina who complained? I don't think that's the case. I think it's I think it's pretty clear that she did. I know there's some questions coming up that we'll, we'll get into the, the details about that. But to me, it painted her in a different – to me, it really shows you – what an independent and strong woman Catalina was. Because if, because if you listen to what Juan said, he's like, no, I don't think she would complain. And 
And he said, but I would be the last to know because she, she knew that if she told him that she was afraid or there was something going on, that he would immediately come down and get her out of there. And she knew that. And so she was handling things on her own, which is, you know, it, it sounds a little weird to be like, you know, she's 71 years old and she's handling stuff on her own, but this is a woman who's never lived on her own. She's always had, you know, most of her adult life lived with Juan. Before that, lived with Juan's mom, uh, her sister. Uh, and so she's, she's independent and, and she's, if these complaints were, were legitimate, that she actually was complaining that she was such a strong and independent woman that she's like, no, I don't want to get moved. I like this apartment. I'm not afraid. I'm going to handle this myself and I'm not going to tell Juan and get, make him worried or, or have him push me to get out of the apartment. So yeah, that was, uh, that that's what I took. That was my takeaway from the fact that Juan didn't think she would complain. The, this, the sexual stuff, yeah, that's – but, the, you know, the, more and more I look at it, I don't think – it's still out there, the possibility that, that 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 stuff was going on in that apartment and that could have been what upset her. But, but as soon as I saw uh, Janine Smith or Pam, whoever wrote that handwritten statement, it doesn't look like that was the complaint at all. She was, the, the Her complaints weren't about – Eva or Jen or anybody like having men over and stuff. The, the complaints were that they were partying really loud, you know, too often. So, so that, you know, the, and that's why you haven't heard me talk much lately about even the, you know, the possibility or potential of her being a sex worker, you know, because it, it seems like maybe that's becoming less relevant, whether she was or not, because that wasn't what the complaints were about. Um, it's still something that I think has to be, has to be considered as a, as a possibility. Only be if we're looking at a potential motive that even if that's not what the complaints were about, if that was, was if there was a business being run out of the apartment, even if Catalina didn't know that that still could be a, a motive. But I, I definitely don't think that's what Catalina was complaining about. I think she was complaining about the fact that there was a bunch of people in there making a bunch of noise and partying all night. All right. Ari's got a couple of points. Juan and his wife mentioned that Catalina liked to walk around the apartment complex alone at night. Could she have seen something that she wasn't supposed to? And how could or would that fit in with Eva upstairs? I don't know. I, I don't think there's any way to know that. And, and also, be, we need to be careful of not just the stating it that way, but even that train of thought of, you know, if we start saying, well, how could this fit in with Eva? That starts to sound a lot like, you know, we're trying to make evidence fit a theory. You know, Eva's not guilty of this. Eva is someone who I think deserves to be a suspect. I, I'm swaying with her. The more information we're learning, I, I, I lean towards, I suspect her of definitely knowing who did this and being involved in some way, but perhaps not being part of the actual attack. But I don't know. There's still, there's still so many unanswered questions. So I don't know. We don't know if she saw anything that she wasn't supposed to see. And since we don't know, there's no reason to even consider how that might connect with Eva because we don't even know if Eva was actually involved. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Next, Ari says the apartment managers were in agreement that Catalina made the complaint about the traffic upstairs. But Juan made it seem like she wouldn't have been the type to complain or care about the type of traffic. And if it was really bothering her, she knew she could move and he would financially support her in doing so. Could it have been Catalina saying something on behalf of June Sage? Could this be a case of mistaken identity? So before you answer, I have a question about that as well. You know, I kind of came up with a theory that Catalina wasn't the person they were going for. Maybe it was June and maybe it was a miscommunication somehow that, you know, and it did end up the wrong person. Maybe the complaints, you know, like they said, maybe the complaints did come from June. Maybe Catalina passed them on, or maybe they came from June herself. But maybe in in theory that maybe June was really the person they were trying to get to, and they just went to the wrong apartment. I I mean, you can't eliminate anything as a possibility, but but think about what we have to do to get there. We have, we have to say that. Well, and I'll tell you how I get there first, just real quick. Okay. Let's we go with a theory that Eva possibly has something to do with this. Maybe that she's not the killer, but she has something to do with it. And she complains about her downstairs neighbor. Mm-hmm. Whoever that person is takes it literally. Complains about like to the ultimate killer. The ultimate killer. this becomes, yeah. The, the downstairs neighbor is a problem. Okay, yeah. That person takes it literally and, and goes to the apartment directly downstairs. Mm-hmm. But there's another downstairs neighbor. Right. That maybe that's who they were pointing it towards. I know it's a far leap, but it's just one of those theories. It's, that not, I, it's not a super far leap, but it's just I don't like how, what we have to do to get there. So what we have to do to get there is to say that that when Pam Wiley tells the police and when Janine Smith tell the police, the two uh, apartment managers, very specifically that it was Catalina, not that she wrote something, gave a note, that she on a regular basis was physically walking into the apartment complex and telling them and you know relaying her complaints to them so we so we'd have to assume for it to be mistaken identity we'd have to assume that they were wrong about that that it was actually June Sage that was doing that the whole time and not Catalina which I don't think that's possible now if it was somebody who was just sending in written complaints maybe it gets mixed up but they physically saw her so then the other option is well was Catalina just passing on complaints for June we we don't have any evidence to support that to support that either I'm trying to think back in the in the note if Catalina had said that no she didn't it was it was June herself said once they were talking to her after the crime that June said that she was also afraid of of the the traffic in and out so I think that if if Catalina was maybe passing it on for June she wasn't telling them that she didn't go in and say hey my other neighbor is really upset about this she said that she was upset about it and that she was the one who was afraid and so you like you've got to just you've got to disregard all that in order to make it another scenario. So I think a a, a more I won't say likely but a, but a more possible scenario would be that June was complaining to Catalina, Catalina was maybe not as upset as June was, but she's like, "Well, I'll go let the managers know." But then she just told the managers that it was her. And, and so then it's not necessarily mistaken identity because she is the one that that complained. And, and then as far as that some people were saying, well, maybe she never complained at all. 
I, I we can't get there either because everything I just said about you know the, the two managers that heard her complain, but also remember KD, youngster, and Jennifer all knew the below neighbor was complaining because Eva told them that. So that that confirms that the managers had told and warned Eva about the complaints because then that night, which again, that's, you know, that, 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 that's one of the reasons why, you know, why, why that apartment's on the radar aside from the wallet is because we know the night before the murder, the first time Katie and youngster had been there, Jen had been there a couple of days, right? But the first time they'd been there the night before the murder, that the fact that the downstairs neighbor was complaining and that Eva was trying to stay out of trouble because of that, or didn't want to get in trouble because of that. That was a topic of conversation in that apartment less than 10 hours before Catalina was murdered. Like, like you cannot ignore that. That was, you know, is that enough reason to kill someone? Well, certainly, I don't think anything's a good enough reason to kill someone. But we do, like, she was murdered. It was a personal cause homicide. She had made a complaint, and within hours of her being murdered, everybody in the apartment above her was discussing the fact that she had complained about them. Sarah has a few questions. How far away did Juan and his wife live from Catalina? This can give an idea of what time Catalina should have left to pick up Juan's wife. It's like five minutes down the road. Next, she says, did Juan's wife try to call Catalina to check on her when she didn't show up that morning? No, from what she says, she talked to Catalina and then she was expecting, and I don't know if she was expecting Catalina. The way I took it was she was expecting her to call to say, okay, now I'm on my way. And when the phone rang, that's who she thought was calling. And instead, it was the police telling her that Catalina had been murdered. And then she's the one that then called Juan at work and told him what happened. Uh, because the the home phone number to Juan's house was the one listed as emergency contact in her apartment file. So that's where the call came. But no, she didn't call back to check on her. She just said, you know, and, and again, going back to what we discussed at the beginning, it didn't seem like she thought it, an unreasonable amount of time had passed before she got that call, that she thought it was just Catalina calling her to let her know she's coming. And instead, it was the police telling her she'd been murdered. Matthew says if Eva and Catalina were friendly and Eva had a history of borrowing things from Catalina, isn't it likely that she would have asked Catalina to use her phone that morning? Jennifer said Catalina was out watering. Does this raise more suspicions to you about Eva? No, I don't know what to, what to think about it, but I'll tell you, there's, there's, of course, there's all the discussion on the page about you know, who's suspects and there's people that that believe she should be a suspect kind of agree with me. There's people that think I'm out of line by saying she should be a suspect and they, you know, try to minimize the reasons for that. So I, I just want to make clear here. The reason the, this is why I think that Eva needs to be a suspect because of the fact that she's the one that reported the crime, that she changed her story, that she, she went and reported the crime or excuse me, went and reported uh, to the managers that Eva was or that Catalina was had hit her head and needed help and then later changes the story to she heard this other voice inside and then and then tells the police that in her, by her second version that Katie's sleeping next to her and that that youngster woke her up that to me that part of her statement right there is the is the biggest most huge red flag in this case for her to be a suspect. I mean, take everything else aside, any other speculations or anything, just what we know that she said. I think, in my opinion, it's very clear, and I believe wholeheartedly, that Katie and Youngster were sleeping in the other room, that they get, they left the room after they heard Eva open the door. 
the fact that that I believe, and I think it's hard to argue that's not the case, that that's the sequence of sequence of events that actually happened that morning. And then she tells the police that, oh, I'm laying on the couch sleeping and KD's sleeping right next to me. And then youngster came out and woke me up to ask me if I heard the screams. So that, that, that's huge. You can anybody that is trying to sanitize her for like, she's, you know, she shouldn't be a suspect. It's ridiculous. There's no evidence or, or you think she's some suspect for some other BS reason that no, that's a, that's a big ass reason. That's a huge reason to consider somebody a suspect, adding to that the fact that the wallet is then found in her in, in her apartment. But the fact that she's literally creating an alibi for herself, she changed the story. I mean, you have the story she told the apartment managers, changed to the story she told the police later, which then changes to Katie and Youngster being there and Youngster being the one that wakes her up. There, 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 is, a, there is utility in all of those lies and changed stories. And that, that's why I say, like, I... I I have a hard time believing that she doesn't, at the very least, absolutely know what happened. Now, as far as the the question concerned about using the phone, no, it, it doesn't make me more suspicious of Eva. I'm I'm still trying to process what all of that means. As far as her using the phone, I don't know. I mean, can you be friendly friendly with somebody and not knock on their door at seven forty five in the morning to use their phone? I think so. Well, the thing that I think is it doesn't what the listener is putting forth, I don't think really matters because we don't we don't really have anything about Eva going to use the phone. Eva gets a page. Jennifer uses the phone. Right. Jennifer doesn't know that Catalina and Eva are friendly or Uh that they talk. She's only been there a couple of days. Right. But Jennifer knows Janet. Right. And she knows she can use her phone. So So just because she goes downstairs and sees Catalina watering the flowers doesn't mean she would know that she could use that phone. Right. So I don't think that puts any suspicion on Eva. I mean, I'm not protecting her or saying she did it or didn't do it, right. but I don't think that leads anything to Eva, that's that situation. Right, because we have no record that she actually did use the phone. I mean, there's – it adds this – when I say I'm still processing, it adds an element. And, and the only element it adds – because remember, Eva's in the living room by herself. She can come and she's the only person in that apartment that can leave and come back and no one would know. Everybody else is in the back bedroom. And you take uh, uh, Zaragoza Garza's statement right that he says he's driving by around 7 45 sees a woman standing on the, the steps there eva says she get up got a page at 7 44 in the morning she said specifically so is it can we rule out the idea that that eva got that page walked downstairs talked to catalina and at, and did ask her to use her phone no we can't rule that out no and there and, there, and there's enough circumstantial evidence to at least support the hypothesis that that could have happened. Does that mean she killed her? Does that mean that's when she died? Does that mean she's any more of a suspect? No, but that's a new thing, I think, to add into the mix if she, because it's, it's not just that, you know, Catalina would would share food with her, but the fact that she would, you know, oftentimes sounds like would knock on her door to borrow something. It maybe why wouldn't, it wouldn't be out of the question for her to ask her to use the phone. Could that be a new catalyst? Maybe. Could have. I mean, but it, maybe it didn't happen. But it, it's something to think about at this point. That doesn't make even more of a suspect, but it's definitely not something that should be brushed off. I think that we need to we, we need to consider that moving forward, that there could have been an interaction with Eva and Catalina that morning that we don't know about it. Because the only two people that would know about it would be Eva, who's not saying it happened, and Catalina, who's dead. Well, and if we do talk about Eva and Catalina being friendly, and and if Eva did have something to do with it, why would there be forced entry then? 
if Eva could get into that apartment on her own. That's a good point. You know, if, if she could go downstairs and let's say she did have someone with her, uh-huh. it still seems like if, if they're friendly, she could get have access to that apartment easier than having forced entry through the patio. By knocking on the door or yeah. whatever. But then also, you, what was the intention of the attack? Regardless of who was involved, mm-hmm. 100%, I believe the person that jumped the fence and ran in there went in there with the intent of, of at the very minimum, beating badly Catalina. And I think I think their intention was murder when they went in. Mm-hmm. But would someone else connected to them necessarily know that? No, you're absolutely you right. You know what I mean? So, like, if so, let's give a scenario. We've run these scenarios with Jennifer, it could be Eva, whoever, fill in the blank. One of them. I don't buy the, I absolutely do not buy the robbery motive. I think Jim's right. There's a personal cause. And that was, it, it, and um, I was going to say something. I think that's not till next week. I'm blending my interviews together because I've been reviewing them both this week. But I do not believe it was a robbery. I don't believe it was intended to be a robbery. But what, let's say that the intention was, you're going to go in there and rough her up. You know, just go up there and, and, and knock her around a little bit, scare her, let's get her out of here for whatever reason. Okay. If that's the case, if at the end of this interaction, the plan is for Catalina to still be alive, you don't want her to know. You don't want her to know to see you, the person who she knows, right? So, so, so say if it's Eva, you know, knocking on that's one of the reasons why I don't buy Jennifer's confession, one of many reasons. But, you know, the plan is for them to go like what she's a distraction or whatever, like unless the intention was murder is like if she knew the intention was murder. From the outside, you don't say, hey, this is Jen from upstairs right before an attack occurs. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to believe that everyone involved in this knew that it was going to be a murder. So I think that's where I start to lean is I, I guess that's where I'm going with this is if Eva has anything to do with this, I don't think she's a participant at all uh-huh. because she would have easier access going through the door. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah, that's so that's where I'm going. That doesn't mean she doesn't might know who it is or something like that, but I, I just have a hard time saying that. And then if she was a participant, you know, they're going in for more than just, you know, it's obviously murder because you don't want it to know that. Right. But if you're just sending someone in to rough her up and leave and you don't want to be seen, what what does that do? Does it just try to force her to move? Because it's not forcing the the point across that they want her to shut up. Right. So what does that do? I think that it could be any number of things. I think it could be not well thought out. I mean, this, this could be as simple as so, so. Let me just throw out a complete hypothetical, speculated scenario. Whereas how Eva could be involved in this and and not be involved in a way that is super bad, right? It's all bad, but let me just tell you this. So, so there could be this scenario where she's telling someone, a friend, a client, whoever it is, you know, this, you know, God, she's complaining. They're about to kick me out if I don't. This, this, this woman down here keeps complaining. And the person's like, well, I'll, I'll go down and, and, and rough her up. I'll let her know. It, whether, and it couldn't even been not even ask them to do it, right? It could just be literally somebody like, well, I'm, I'm going to go down and, and, and send her a message. And what do you do? And they go down, and they hop the fence, they go in, and boom, boom, boom. And they come out and say, I just killed her. And now Eva's like, oh, fuck, right? Like, I, that wasn't, I, the, I didn't ask you to do that. I didn't tell you to do that. And I sure as hell didn't know you were going to kill her. And then the, then they take off, and now here's Eva's left holding the bag. So in that, and again, that's there's there's no evidence to support. I mean, not you could create a circumstantial case in any way, right? But this is just speculation of a potential hypothesis 
where now Eva's in a position to, okay, well, I need to get her help. I obviously can't tell them how I was actually involved because I was, and in that scenario, would that person be someone you'd be afraid of? Well, probably. Yeah. Someone you just said, you know, hey, this woman's giving me problems. And then he goes in and kills her. Like, do you want to then tell the police about? No. Right. So, so you, there is a genuine fear. You're trying to get them all, but, but you have enough involvement that you have to lie about things so they don't connect you to it. So that's just, that's just one of many scenarios where things could spiral out of control where now Eva's, Eva could be involved, as I keep saying, know what happened, but not necessarily directly involved. Um, I see less scenarios like that for Jennifer because you don't have the, the cause there. You don't, there's, there's, I have a hard time finding a scenario that fits a similar situation with Jennifer because I don't think either one of them went and knocked on the door to distract somebody or, you know, whatever the case, whatever the the plan was. I think mm. somebody bolted over that fence and, and just went right after Catalina to send a message or whatever. And I think somebody, and I don't necessarily think it was somebody from that apartment, but somebody in that apartment knows exactly who did that. Jessica says, did Juan or his wife know what kind of work Catalina did at the church? For example, meals for homeless, addiction, or jail ministries. It sounded like we talked a little bit off the, there was a couple of times where we were off, off mic after we, after he showed me the picture of, or showed me the, the letter from the Vatican. We sat in the kitchen, you know, we kind of took a bathroom break and sat in the kitchen and talked for a little while. Um, and during that, the way it sounded to me was she didn't go, cause I asked him if there was like, was, was she ever, like around dangerous people or out doing things. And, and he said, no, no, not at all. He really shrugged that off. And, and he said that, that the work she did was like in the, she volunteered in the church. She wasn't like out doing things. She was just in the church working. Uh, and he didn't seem to think there was any kind of, there, there, there wasn't a situation where she would come in contact with anybody dangerous because of her work. And that's like, that place was hopping. When I went there, you know, I, I went there on a, on a Thursday, afternoon or like 11 in the morning on a Thursday and there was 50 cars in the parking lot. There was a line there. I don't know what they got going on in there, but they got stuff going on all day. Jesse says, if the wallet didn't exist, would you still believe Eva to be a prime suspect with the complaints as the motive? Uh, yes, I would still consider her to be a suspect and, and a prime suspect. I don't know about the motive. As I said, the, you know, the, the, the motive plays into any scenario you start to build out or any hypothesis about the the complaints the wallet certainly adds to that but as i said earlier the core of my suspicion of eva comes from the utility and her changing stories that that more than anything is what makes her a suspect in my mind the other things add to that but but the fact that she changed that story about where she was at how she got notified of the crime what happened you know all those differences I just talked about a few minutes ago, that's what makes her a suspect in my mind. And then these other things you're talking about, they just they they just start to build on to the circumstantial hypothesis of her being involved. Lynn wants to know if we can confirm the beneficiaries in the will. Everything was probated, so there's there are paths you can go down to get those records to find out exactly what went where and who got what. I don't know what they are. It, it, it does not seem like a a fruitful effort for us right now. I know there's you know the, the no stone unturned, but I, I will say this: one is and has been for a long time 
very financially comfortable, very financially comfortable. And, and, and Catalina did not make very much money, did not have much money. He was the only living relative. Yeah. And so, you, you know, what do we, you know, I, I think people have suggested, well, what if there was more money than we know about? You know, that, you know, where do we get there? That, that, that we think Juan had his aunt killed for the money. Like it's, it's, that's absolutely preposterous. I'm not saying anybody's saying that specifically, but, but that, that theory is preposterous. There's just no way that is, that isn't even on the table. It, and, and then, so then another scenario would be what? That there was some other benefactor that we're not aware of that got her money and maybe that was a motive. But then we still have Juan saying, no, he got everything. Like everything went to him. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the, I'm sure there's ways to find that out, but it's not an angle that I'm wasting energy on. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Lynn says, any chance the real target was Eva? I, I don't think so. That doesn't, no. I, I mean, I can't say no. I don't, I'd have to think about that. I can't imagine a scenario where that's the case, that someone was trying to, what, put a hit on Eva and they just went into the wrong apartment, found an elderly Hispanic woman. And th- that's a little too far-fetched for me, but I'm not, obviously I can't say no, but I don't, I don't see that as possible. Somebody would have to, somebody would have to walk me through that scenario. Jim says, given that memories change over time and are almost guaranteed to be inaccurate, after so much time has passed, should we take everything in this interview with a huge grain of salt, especially when it's so different from Juan's trial testimony and statements to police? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to with a lot of things, especially details. You know, not I don't think you have to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, Juan knew his his aunt and her personality. And and remembers, you know, I think he would remember if she had complained to him, you know, about feeling unsafe there or anything like that. We're talking about times and things. Um, And also, as I said, the fact that, you know, his trial testimony is a little sticky with me because some of the things he says doesn't line up with what he actually testified to at trial. And, you know, what he said to me is just that he was, you know, the trial was a blur. He didn't come out and say this, but it was almost like he was just kind of going through motions when he was doing, giving his trial testimony and even throughout all the trials. So there's possibility maybe maybe some of his testimony, and you'll hear next week that he was definitely being leaned on to to remember things a certain way at trial. But certainly, yeah, I don't, I don't think you can look at anything he said and say, this is what happened because it's just been too long. And, and when you, especially when you have some inconsistencies with statements that he, that he had back at the time, you, you definitely have to, I guess, take them with a grain of salt is, is probably a good way to put it. 
Emmett says, can you have Jim back on the show to discuss the Angel Resendez theory? So I, I saw this question and I had to look it up. I don't know. I didn't know that was a theory. And I guess I'm not on the fan page enough to know, or maybe it's on other pages where they're discussing this. So for those of you that don't know, this Angel, how do you pronounce his last name? Resendez. Resendez. He is a serial killer back in the like, 80s, 90s. I had to look him up. I remember a little bit about him, but he was, they called him like the train car killer. I don't remember the name, but, but he would like ride in train cars and then get off the trains and his typical MO was to bludgeon people to death and then get back on the train and go somewhere else. I looked, I mean, I don't know what people have, have developed as far as a theory about him being involved, but I know that his, he, he, he had a murder in San Antonio, Texas in 1991. And then his next murder was in Florida in 1997. So a year, less than a year after this, he was in Florida. I don't know what that there. I, I I wouldn't profile this personally as an amateur profiler. I wouldn't profile this as anything that, that that would be a serial killer. Again, it looks very much you know. I had the same conclusion Jim did. This is a personal cause homicide. Uh, a serial killer like that isn't going to come in and stage things. And if and if it's a serial killer, how does the wallet and I, I you'd have what's that there? So then after the murder, Jen or Eva or somebody finds the wallet and then stashes it in their room. Why are the car keys gone? If it's a serial killer, they you know if they're going to take the car keys, I'm pretty sure they take the car too. I don't know. I I would have to see that theory, uh, much like the other one that we just discussed. I'd have to see that developed out to to think that had anything to do with it. it seems like a shot in the dark to me. Our last questions from Sue. Do you think Juan knew his aunt quite as well as he thinks he did? Do you believe him? Yeah, I think he knew her better than anyone. He's our literally our best source of information. As far as her and her victimology, as I said, could some of the details be a little bit off about her? Maybe, probably, especially times and things like that. But as far as her personality, what she was like, you know, the fact that, you know, as he said, that oh, she would have never, you know, little little things. You get little little insights into her personality, that, you know, that she had saved her money over the years of living with him in order to um, buy that car. And her car was, you know, kind of her pride and joy and and. And she loved being independent and being and being social, and that she, for considering the fact that she was very very religious, she was still also very tolerant of people and wasn't you know all, all I think all that yeah I believe him and I think that's who Catalina really was. And as I told you, my my take on on her, it, the biggest thing I learned is just how strong and independent she was. Like the fact that I do believe the complaints took place. I do believe she was scared and that's why she made the complaints, but that she handled that herself, even though she had that, that safety net there in her nephew. Uh, but she wanted to take care of herself and, and be independent and wanted to give him his space with his new wife. So yeah, I think that we learned a lot about Catalina. And I definitely believe Juan, and, and while memories can, can definitely fade on some details, I think in general he paints a really helpful and, and, and good picture for us of who Catalina was. All right, that's it for questions. Uh, but before we close out, Bob, did you want to mention Cleveland? Oh, yes. Uh, gosh, it's coming right up. This is going to air Friday. So yeah, it's before the next follow-up, next Thursday is uh we're gonna be i'm gonna be in cleveland uh turns out nick from true crime garage can't make it the captain will be there so it'll be me the captain and josh hallmark from true crime bullshit we're doing a live show that sold out immediately 
at the Happy Frog in Cleveland. Um, but as I think I mentioned last week, but if I didn't, um, if you're interested in going, that sold out. It's like in the venue is in the basement of the Happy Frog after the show is over at like 8 o'clock or 8.30, whenever it's over. We're going to be then going upstairs and just doing a meetup. So if you couldn't get tickets, which, I mean, a lot of people couldn't because they sold out so fast. Um, but if you couldn't get tickets to the show, but you still want to do like the meetup, just be upstairs at the Happy Frog on Thursday night, August 5th in Cleveland. And when we're done with the show, we're going to go up and have drinks and and kind of meet and greet and get to get to chat and hang out with everybody. So yeah, if you're around the Cleveland area, definitely stop by. We'd love to see you. And, uh, oh, True Crime Bins this week had on really cool guest Alvin Williams from the Affirmative Murder Podcast. Uh, he and his co-host Fran, they cover cases and they, they shine a light on cases that involve minority victims. And that's what their whole podcast is about. They do a great job. Good guys. Uh, I actually met them in Austin and then uh, had Alvin on the show this week. So that is, uh, that's this week's episode of True Crime Bins. Check that out next week. On True Crime Bins, we got Tam Alex from the Snow Files. So any of you from Season 7, the Jamie Snow case, she's on to talk about her podcast and give us some updates about the case. And we have a guest appearance by Jamie Snow himself at the end of that episode. With that being said, well, we're going to close things out. Make sure you tune in Sunday for the second half of my interview with the Mendiolas. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Produced and edited by Mike Bussing, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our follow-up logo was created by Zach Weaver, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, Truth and Justice Pod, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Charlena White, Kaywood Yamnick, Ginger Fiola, Edith Swanneck, Lindsay Pease, Erica Cantor, and Jen Reese Incandela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd really like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we also have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a 5-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, Truth and Justice Pod. Just click the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. For all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found at BobRuffTruth. Mike can be found at Murb Gaming, M-U-R-R-B-G-A-M-I-N-G, and Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, and tips on our cases. 
That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services, so your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.